You're listening to the Hal and Steve English podcast, a comfy place to talk about all the great and not so great parts of teaching ESL abroad. I'm Steve, and I'm here with Jennifer Waddell. Hello. An ESL teacher who taught in China and Thailand and currently works with Palfish. Stay tuned. Um, before we get into the interview with Jennifer, let me remind you that if you go to howandsteveenglish.com and if you go to our blog section, you'll be able to find a ton of really awesome free-to-download card games and board games. Um, right now, I think Hal's working on some really interesting travel lessons. So these would be uh, B1 to B2 level resources that you could use with older students or adult students. And they're pretty fun to chat about. We've also got some pretty cool videos on there that you can use as part of your class. And uh, if you like those, join us as a teacher member for 10 bucks a month. Uh, your contributions really help us make more resources and uh, just keep pushing us along on this awesome trail. Jennifer, how's it going? Pretty good. How about yourself? Not so bad. I forgot to ask you before we started. Uh, your last name's Waddell, right? Um, hey, you got it. It is. It's Waddell. Uh, most people do not pronounce it correctly, so good job. <laughs> My Latin 101 professor was Mr. Waddell, or Philip ah. Waddell, I think. So Dr. Waddell. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a doctor yet, but... <laughs> So where are you at right now? Um, I am in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I've been here for three years now, um, teaching English online for two of those. Oh, cool. And are you originally from that area? Um, I'm from Illinois. Um, I am from Nowheresville, Illinois, um, Cumberland County. So my mom lives in a village of 350 people called Montrose. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's a blip on the interstate. You only stop if you really need to use the bathroom. <laughs> is that close to Peoria at all? Um, Peoria is uh, north of us. Uh, if you, um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Interstate 70. Uh, it basically goes. Yes, yes, yeah. Okay, so if you go through Illinois on Interstate 70, you will go through Montrose. Uh, I-70 intersects or bisects Missouri, right? So it goes from uh, yeah, Kansas it does. City to St. Louis. Um, I went to Mizzou. I went to the University of oh, Missouri. Oh, okay. I actually went to, my undergrad was at um, Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. So down around. You got some good parties over there. Yes. <laughs> got some really good parties over there. That's true. Uh, got Get some people in trouble down there for a while. They kicked all of our, the fraternities and sororities off campus. And they were still gone when I got there, which has been a very long time ago. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we should get into it. I guess um, maybe you, we just talked about university. So could you tell us about where you went to university and um, what happened there that made you think, I want to be an ESL teacher abroad? Um, well, it's, I mean, basically, I am all about the travel. Um, I went to SIU Carbondale. Um, I have a degree in geography with a minor in conservation. Um, and I worked in England when I was in undergrad. I did a work abroad, um, a, I guess they call it a work exchange program um, through the Council on International Exchange. And this was kind of pre-internet or the internet was still... Um, you know, you've got mail. So um, we, I, I found a book in an old bookstore and wrote to the, the, the address on the book and they sent me an application. I called the airline and booked a plane ticket and I went to England for six months. Um, so I came back um, 
finished college and I worked for the United States Park Service, um, Georgia, Florida, and Florida. And um, I then moved to New York um, where I worked for the Department of Agriculture. And when my contract ended, um, the, the job I enjoyed, I love New York, um, but uh, I just, there was something missing. I, I worked a lot. I didn't have any time to travel. And I had, during this time working for the government, finished a master's degree in English as a second language, which were education. And then my specialization was English as a second language through University of Phoenix, which does not have the best reputation I know, but um, it worked with my schedule. I could pay for it myself and I found it really useful. I learned a lot and I just decided to go for it. And Thailand was on my list of countries I had always wanted to visit. And I So you end up in Thailand and how'd that go? Um, well, it was a very, very large culture shock because I went to Thailand and I had never had Thai food and I had never been to any Asian countries yet uh, before. I had been to um, England and France um, at that time and Germany. My brother was in the army. I visited him and that was it. And I went with a program um, which you were supposed to do training and then they placed you in a school and at the end of your training you had a TEFL certificate which I didn't really need because I already had a master's degree but I thought it would be better to go with an organization and that turned out to be a very bad idea um, they placed us where they got a commission from the school so we got paid less than we normally would have and we didn't get a say in where we went or what grade we taught um, so while I enjoyed the teaching a lot that the students were just adorable I had six-year-olds um, I really I still love Thailand I have been back once since for vacation um, but the work environment was very stressful because the teachers there um, they didn't like the fact that the foreign teachers made more money than they did, and they were um, pretty vocal about it. I mean, it, Thai culture is, um, they're the land of smiles, and I agree with that. I love Thailand, but the work culture is very passive-aggressive. So they smile, and they agree with you, and then they talk about you behind your back. <laughs> it's really so, interesting that you mentioned that, because I think that's basically... <laughs> the big cultural difference that any teacher here in East Asia has. So I talked to uh, an academy owner in Vietnam yesterday, and I talked to you know, a few teachers in Japan and China, and then our experiences here in South Korea. And there's no directness between anybody. No, not at all. Um, so it was, that was very difficult for me because um, being an American, I tend to be very direct. Um, so when something is a problem, I, I want to, you know, I want to address it. I want to get, I always want to improve myself. So, um, but I couldn't get an answer out of anyone. I couldn't get help. Um, I was the classroom teacher. So the school that I worked at, they had three levels of English. Um, and I was in the English program. So my students had 70% of their education in English. So I didn't just teach English. I taught math, science, um, grammar, 
computers and, and we had a STEM program. So I was also doing engineering and um, technology, which was really awesome. But my students were good at English, but they were six years old. So um, occasionally you need to speak your, your own language. You don't have the words like if they were sick or if they needed to use the restroom. Um, so ha not having support from the Thai teacher who was supposed to be helping me was really difficult. Um, I'm sorry, what year I, was this again? Um, this would be 2012. Um, I, it was like 2000, early 2012 to the end of 2012. Um, so I, when I came home, I thought, okay, well, maybe teaching English abroad is not for me. Um, and I went back to doing what I had been doing, which was uh, field biology. Uh, and I went to work in California for the San Diego Zoo um, Conservation Research Institute. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I did field work with uh, shorebirds. Thought I would be doing that forever. And then they laid us all off. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back to Illinois and my brother had been teaching in China. Um, he taught in Wuxi, China, and he told me, you know, I think you would really enjoy China. I, I really like it here. The people are great. Um, and I started doing some research and luckily, um, you know, I have since I have a degree, I had experience. I was able to choose from about five different offers um, for schools. And I chose a, um, a small city called Xinyu. It's in Jiangxi province. Um, my sister-in-law is Chinese and she asked me why I wanted to go to the countryside. Uh, at the time I thought I was doing well because the city has 1 million people. And then when I got there, I realized it, it is the countryside. <laughs> um, but yeah, I taught uh, oral English to grade eight, and then I also did teacher training. So I was the first foreign teacher they had ever had at their school. And they had um, about 14 English teachers that were Chinese, and they wanted to make sure that they were uh, pronouncing the words correctly. They wanted to sound more natural when they spoke English. So twice a week, we had teacher training where they you know, ask me questions. I prepared lessons for them, mostly just to get them talking and for them to feel more comfortable using um, English words and as like a native, because although their English was, you know, flawless, it was very grammatically correct. And um, I'm sure, you know, native speakers, uh, we don't really care too much about grammar when we are speaking. So they wanted to sound more like um, a native speaker, and um, I tried to help them. So how long did you end up staying there in China? Uh, I was only there for a year. Uh, my mother got sick, so I came home, and I have not been able to go back yet. Um, I, would, I would love to go back again. I really, really like China. I would probably choose a larger city this time, just for ease of um, getting around. And because um, I wasn't just a foreigner in my city, I was the foreigner. I was the only one registered at the police station. So um, I got, you know, a typical, I'm, I'm stand out. I'm the only non-Chinese person in town. So I had a lot of people follow me in the grocery store to see what I was going to buy. I got my picture taken a lot. 
Um, <laughs> once we were at the Western restaurant in town, which was like a steak place um, that I really enjoyed. Uh, and a woman came up with her baby and she didn't say anything in Chinese or in English. And I was um, eating and she just set her baby down next to me and took my picture with her baby and then picked up the baby and left. <laughs> and that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty bad. <laughs> it was, and I was with my, my, uh, the teacher friends and I just kind of looked at them and I went, what just happened? And they were laughing as well. And they said, I don't know what's going on. Like, You're famous. So, <laughs> um, that was, uh, could, can be a little bit stressful. Um, the culture shock was not as big when I went to China. I was used to, I, I kind of expected slightly passive aggressive. Um, like I said, my sister-in-law is Chinese. She kind of told me, you know, a few, gave me some tips not to be, uh, what to expect. And then since my brother had been there um, for a year before I arrived, uh, he kind of gave me some uh, uh a brief rundown of, you know, this is going to happen and this is going to happen and it's not a big deal. Um, I think the biggest shock for me when I went to China is that nothing is private. Like, there's just nothing that's private. Uh, I had to have a physical before I went to China. And then when I got to China, I had to go and have the exact same test done again. So I had to have, you know, the whole works, blood work, chest x-rays, uh, ultrasound which was really strange for me because in America you only get an ultrasound if you're going to have a baby and she came at me with the ultrasound machine and I'm like whoa 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 <laughs> this is not necessary um just and then by the end of the week after I had gotten these tests everyone in my school knew my blood type because the person who translated for me told everyone <laughs> um which is not a huge deal, but they were, since she was sharing that information, I didn't really know what else she was sharing. So I had to explain that in America, that's considered um, private. We don't share that except for with our doctors. Um, but uh, yeah, the kids were great there. The, this, the, um, the school was really helpful. Um, they were really generous. Um, they actually paid my, they usually you have to finish your contract before you get your reimbursement for your plane ticket. Um, but they wanted me to have, I wanted to buy a, a scooter to get around and they went ahead and reimbursed my plane ticket after I had only been there a month so I could buy a scooter, which okay. I thought was nice. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. And I think you said something yeah. really interesting that I think maybe people might be able to relate to, which is uh co-workers or people in your life helping you abroad being privy to all your personal information and that personal information getting out there yes um and i don't think it was done ever in a malicious way um it's i mean uh they were just like oh uh, that's my blood type is very unusual in china so it was just something like oh you know that's you're just so so unique are you ab um, um, I am O negative. Okay. So apparently um, that's panda blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so... <laughs> we don't really have any, we don't really know anybody's blood type and we don't really have those superstitions that go with it, those cool little uh, right? like astrological I, I don't know what my, 
Right. I don't know what my personality is supposed to be based on my blood type, but um, they were like, oh, Jennifer has panda blood. So she's so unique. What does panda yes, blood I, mean? What, what kind of person um, does that make you? I don't know. They were just saying that it's because pandas are very rare and my blood type is very rare. So they call it panda blood. I know. I maybe it just means like I'm, it's okay for me to get really chubby and roll around on the ground and only eat bamboo. That that would definitely be a really great way to go with it, um, right? <laughs> I think on another side of that, that really does end up being one of the big cultural differences that can skew somebody negative in their experience or positive. So you mentioned two really big ones. You mentioned like indirect culture or indirect communication and. Um, like, I guess, two-facedness or duplicity in personalities. And then you mentioned also, you know, people having, uh, I guess, feeling entitled to the lives of the local foreigner, which I think happens yes. to varying degrees in different countries. But you seem pretty positive, even though those are typically what causes somebody to just pack it up and go home. Um, for some reason, it didn't, there were several other foreigners with me when I was in Thailand, so I wasn't by myself, so I felt like I could be like, oh my gosh, you know, I went to the grocery store today, and three people followed me around to see what kind of shampoo I was going to buy, um, whereas in China, I was, I was by myself, like, my brother was there, but he was in Shanghai, which was about a four and a half hour train journey if I took the G train, the fast train. So, um, I mean, I could obviously call him or um, WeChat, etc. But I was day to day. Um, the for the Chinese teachers um, had a very full schedule, and in by comparison, I had a very light schedule. I had ten classes, um, but I only had to teach two per day. So one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and then um, I was expected to be in the office. So I would work on my lesson plans in the office. That way the students could come and talk to me or the, the other teachers could ask me questions. But in reality, I think I worked maybe 20 hours per week. Um, and the rest of the time was just me by myself because everyone else was so busy. Um, so I did a lot of exploring um, by myself. I don't speak Chinese. Um, my, um, I speak some Chinese now, it's very bad. The place that I lived was the countryside, so the people don't speak like standard Mandarin Chinese. It's a dialect. So I would learn how to say something, and then I would go to Shanghai, and my sister-in-law would say, what? I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> so um, I have kind of a very mishmash uh, Chinese uh, language. I did a lot of um, charades. I drew pictures. I used Google Translate a lot and on one hand people were very helpful and I didn't ever feel like they didn't want me there but at the same time um, it was extremely stressful because I didn't know when I went out if I was going to be able to get what I wanted um, communicate with anyone if I got lost I almost got my scooter towed once um, I uh, there's a grocery store that I always went to because one of the cashiers spoke a little bit of English and she would turn the, um, the register around so I could look at the money 
instead of her telling me how much it was. Uh, and so I would always go to this grocery store and I pulled up one day and everyone's scooters were just parked all over. And so I just picked a spot and went inside and I came out and the police were there and they were loading all of the scooters onto a, a, um, a flatbed truck because, uh, we were all in a no parking zone. So they were about two away from my scooter and I ran up and I'm like, you know, I was just like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, and I pointed at the scooter and, you know, just made the gesture for like, oh dear, I'm so, so sorry. And he just looked at me and was like, teacher? And I said, yes. And he made this, you know, the hand gesture for I'm naughty. And, um, and I was like, can I, I said, can I go? But I'm making the gesture like, can I take my scooter and go? Am I okay? Are you going to give me a ticket? And he let me go. And um, the entire time, some people were filming it on their phones. So <laughs> I'm sure I ended up on WeChat somewhere. <laughs> wow. Um, so I think yeah. there's something also that uh, people might be confused about if they don't live in China or Korea or Japan. And this idea that a city with one million people is actually countryside. Yes. Could you explain um, what you mean by that? So uh, my my city uh, had has one million people. So for China, that's considered, it's not even a, a tier three city. It's like not even on the list of cities when they rank their cities. Um, my school was next to a mountain and most of the t of the city was just apartment buildings. Um, there was a bus route, um, and we did they did build a G train station, which was probably an hour by bus north of the city. So I was able to take the fast train when I wanted to go to Shanghai or Nanchang. Um, but the city itself was. Um, I'm trying to think of something that's comparable. Um, like I live in Columbus now and there's 850,000 people and it's the capital of the state. But, but Shinyu, more people walk. Um, you'll still see people with um, hand carts. The people from the, even farther out in the villages come into the city to sell vegetables along the streets um, every day. Um, it's, the, all of the students from my school had to be bused in on a Sunday afternoon, and then they left on Friday afternoon. They all lived in surrounding villages, and um, the, I couldn't get any mail. So the entire year that I lived in China, I could get no mail because my school did not have an address. Wow. Uh, they could get couriered, like a lot of stuff came via courier from... Uh, it was a government school. It's actually affiliated with a pretty famous university in China, um, Beijing Normal University. And um, it was just, they, I said, well, can I get something sent to the school? And they're like, oh, well, we, we, we don't have an address. When I applied to the job, I had to send a bunch of paperwork to them, um, priority mail, like international priority. And I had to send it to one of the teacher's homes because I couldn't send it to the school. <laughs> And, I, and they get deliveries, but someone has to basically go to the place, like the water delivery, um, because of course you can't drink the water. Even the people who live there don't drink the water. Everyone drinks bottled water. 
Um, so they had to go to the water delivery place, draw a map to where the school is. And it wasn't a small school. It was big. But they just hadn't gotten around to giving it an address yet. <laughs> that's something that's, so. again, really interesting <laughs> because that's basically how South Korea was maybe a decade or two ago as well. And then up to just like a few years ago, they had to update all the addresses to a modern style of address, which nobody really understands either because there's just... At least here, and I think in other places as well, there's just so much, um, so many inconsistencies between the different government agencies. And, you know, one old man decides this thing, and then he leaves, and then the next person decides something else, but they don't really talk to each other, it seems. Um, <laughs> That's pretty much how it was. Like, I didn't, I kept asking for a post office. I wanted to mail some things home, and all the teachers and I would just be like, hey, can someone tell me where the post office is? And they were just like, uh, I don't know. Like, you never get anything in the mail? Like you don't send mail to anyone? No, like they order things off Taobao, which is like Chinese version of eBay. Um, but like my friend who, I ordered some things from, from Taobao. She was able to use her friend's address who had an apartment in an office building. So it had a, an address so there were just so many workarounds for things that i take for granted here in the united states like i can order something off amazon and it comes to my house and it was just a lot of extra work um so yeah i one they were very excited my students all sent me emails before i arrived and the overwhelming thing that they wanted to tell me was they had a walmart um and that was pretty much the um the thing that i made me realize that i was actually going to a rural area was that they they only put walmarts in china in very small small cities they don't put them in big places why is so, that so yeah um it's so when walmart first started here in america it was only in rural areas they wanted them to be outside of cities so people um, from smaller towns could shop at walmart and it's kind of gotten bigger now they're getting closer and closer to major cities but uh back in the day when i was a kid you they you would never see a walmart in a town of you know bigger than like thirty thousand people it would just wouldn't be there um and that's how it is in china they don't put them in major cities i don't know if it's because they don't want um you know the spread of western stores as fast um which is weird because Shanghai has like Old Navy and things like that, um, which is another culture shock for me um, is I cannot fit into any Chinese size clothes. Um, I am American. Um, I'm not large, but I'm larger than the average Chinese woman. So um, I had to shop uh, only in places like um, I could shop at Old Navy in Shanghai, and also the Japanese clothing line Uniqlo had larger sizes. Um, so people going to China that aren't going to be in a major city, like a tier one or tier two city, have to think ahead very carefully about what clothes they're going to bring. What's the climate going to be like? I was in um, Jiangxi province, um, not super cold winters, but very wet. Um, and then it was really hot during the summertime. So I had to bring an entire uh, year's worth of clothes 
because I knew that I was not going to be able to fit in any of the clothes at the stores. I know you're paying um, very well. That's that's really smart. <laughs> I think I didn't realize um, how different the, the cities were in China and inside China itself. I guess you, I always hear about the tears and different things like that, but I never really thought it. It sounds like you just went back in time. Like what? A little the, bit. I, I mean, my students. Um, I would, one of my teacher's um, friends had a son. He did not sit, he was four. Um, super cute kid, pretty good English for a four-year-old. Um, and he never wore, wore in a car seat. The kids, the babies would just like be crawling around the car, jumping from the, the front seat to the back seat, sitting on people's laps. Um, no seat belts. They have um, little things they put in the seat belt so that the, the it doesn't ding, 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 ding. It, and they sell them in the stores, these little metal things you can just stick oh in your seatbelt so you don't have to wear your seatbelt. It's like, it's like, I'm back in the 70s. <laughs> well, how far back do you need to go to find people that could didn't have addresses or post offices? That's, I mean, that must be really tough, like some basic, uh, basic public utility yeah well the only thing i can compare it to is um so i'm from a, um, a rural area and when i was growing up people had didn't have addresses they had rural route numbers so you're my like for example my grandfather it would be rural route 27 and then you had the same postal worker the same person delivered your mail probably your entire life until they retired so they didn't they'd know okay well this is the the brewer house this is the white house they it, the, it was farms and it's kind of like that with china like you if you don't know um if you don't know the person or you don't know the person delivering your mail and that's still the same today because i tried to send um some of my current students cards for children's day um and my students live in fairly large cities changsha um and shaman these are they're not the same size as where i lived and only one out of six cards made it the, wow. the mail is just horrible either the person who's delivering the mail doesn't doesn't read pinion like uh, american letters or they just didn't feel like delivering the mail or someone decided that it wasn't appropriate for that person to to get mail from america and yeah <laughs> So it's that's just was really strange to me because, um, uh, yeah, I've gotten mail my whole life. It's just sort of part of you birthday cards and Christmas cards. And my mother was just um, really upset she couldn't send me a birthday card or a Christmas card or Christmas present because uh, I didn't have an address. <laughs> yeah, that must be really difficult. And I'm thinking about all the different teachers and and again the the folks that we talk to on HowandSteveEnglish.com, um, our website and our emails and our Facebook. There's just like this lack of ability to conceive of where you're headed. So when our yeah. teachers end up going abroad, they imagine, oh, I heard living in South Korea is like living in the 1950s socially. Like, okay, I mean, I guess that's kind of okay to put it in that type of relative terms. But there's also just like huge fundamental divides that maybe you need to go back quite a bit farther than that to find something relative to your culture so like you mentioned post yeah, offices, how far back do you have to go to find something relative to like oh we, we're not going to deliver that mail 
Yeah, I mean, we they had, and it was so funny because, um, so in China, if your scooter is not powered by gas, you don't have to have a driver's license. So that's how I was able to not speaking any Chinese and being only able to read the basic signs. I mean, the luckily for me, the um, the rules of the road are very similar. All the lights are the same. They have the very similar street signs and I took Japanese in college so a lot of the um I could understand a lot of the characters even if I didn't know the word for it in Chinese so I had a very cute little blue scooter and because I was by myself so often I I'm I'm pretty independent I don't like being obligated so they had assigned a teacher to drive me around and I know that she didn't mind doing it she was getting paid extra to do it but at the same time, that was her, she already worked very long hours and that would mean taking time away from her family on the weekends to drive the foreigner around or in the evenings when she was tired and she just wanted to go home. Oh, well, she needs to go to the grocery store. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to be able to go where I wanted when I wanted, but I also wanted to not make myself a burden, if that makes sense. Um, because it was already... Another thing that was not private was my salary. Um, not only did everyone in my school know how much I made, but the local police officer did too. Wow. How did he know? <laughs> yes. Um, so I had to go to, it's you know, because in China, all foreigners have to be registered with police station. So I had to go and get my photo taken and um, I had to wear the, a shirt that they gave me to put on for the photo because everyone who lives in the city has to wear the same shirt in their photos. I don't know if it's literally the same shirt, but it's, it has to be a similar shirt. So I had to put this shirt on and um, I had to give them my passport, which really made me nervous. Uh, I had to leave it with them for uh, like five days and I did not like that at all. And I had a hard time explaining why I was nervous with this. And um, so I had to leave my passport. And while we were there, he, he was very impressed that their school had a foreign teacher because no one else did. And um, the woman who did my interview was my translator that day. And so she just eh, told him how much I made. And then um, he, they were you know, talking back and forth. And I was just like, oh, hey, I heard money. I know that word. What's going on? <laughs> And they were like, oh, they're just um, so impressed that you're, you're making such a good salary. I'm like, yay. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I kind of knew when I moved to China um, that privacy laws are sort of not a thing. Um, I was expected that, uh, just like I knew um, I wouldn't be able to access certain websites without a, a private network. Um, and then if I was... Um, if someone decided to look at my computer and they saw that I had a VPN on my computer, that could be a problem. Um, essentially, I knew that n my life was not private when I was in China, but it was still kind of a shock to be confronted with just exactly how not private my life was in China. <laughs> you mentioned so many things that I think they're kind of shocking to me right now, like <laughs> if I'm thinking if I were in that situation, I'd feel so uncomfortable or so nervous. And it reminds me 
of my experience, and I only have one experience um, of teaching in another country, South Korea, where I currently am. And it reminds me of so many things that made me uncomfortable here. And I remember that basically there are just ways or just common sense practices, like big, big taboo no-nos that we learn in the United States or we learn in Western culture. And then you're told never break, never bend on any of these. So like letting right? somebody else have your passport. Um, and then you come here and then you have to break or you need to bend on some of these really hard and fast rules. And it's shocking and it's weird. And it's like, uh, what do I do? Because this other authority figure, the Chinese government is telling me I need to do this or my boss is telling me I need to do this. But is this one of those cultural differences or is this just something bad? So that's, that must be so stressful to navigate, especially you know, as you're facing those different scenarios in China. Yeah, and not being able to, um, and I mean, and that that's completely on me. Like, um, I generally, um, when I go to another country, I try to learn some of the language. Um, so I knew some things, and um, I'm really, I something I found out about myself from living in China is I am really good at reading body language. So uh, a lot of, but it got me into trouble sometimes because they would think I knew more Chinese than I did. Um, I would hear a few words that I understood and then I would see, you know, gesture or, you know, some kind of hand motion and I could figure out con from the context what they were talking about. Um, for example, uh, when I got to uh, Shenyu, that province, they had just announced that the people were allowed to have a second child. Um, if you are an only child and your parents are an only child, you were allowed to have a second child. So it was very interesting because uh, I was in grade eight and there were seven other grade eight teachers and four out of the seven of them were pregnant. Um, and in China, if you're pregnant, you only you still get your full salary, but you only have to work part time. But that meant that the other That's three Chinese teachers, right? Um, the other three Chinese teachers who were single, younger single girls, ladies, um, they were taking on even more work because the women who were pregnant were able to leave if they didn't feel well or if they had a doctor's appointment. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, um, so, you know, at one time we were at, in the cafeteria and one of the, the, uh, teachers, she was very tired and we were having Baozu, which I love. And, um, she was like, oh, I could, she said something and she pointed and I could tell from a few words and her pointing and then going, oh, no, no, no. She wanted more dumplings, but she was too tired to get up and get them. So I just got up and got a few more and, and brought them back to her and, and and to me it just seemed like a natural thing to do but at the time they were like I thought you didn't speak Chinese I'm like I don't I understood dumplings and want and she pointed at the dumplings <laughs> and then she made us you know gesture like she was too tired to get them and so I just uh, you know I, I kind of figured it out so I feel like occasionally they thought I did know Chinese, but I was saying that I didn't, um, which was not my intention to be deceptive. I um, so I would try to kind of tone down my guessing, unless it was um, really important. <laughs> uh, 
Um, that's really good tip. That's a really, really good tip for a lot of people because we, we all do that. Like you just get good. If you can't speak the language, you get good at guessing and like intuiting what the people want and what they're trying to communicate. And then they just go a mile a minute once you get one or two right in a row. Yes, that absolutely. And um, strangely, um, so I'm kind of pale. I have blonde hair and blue eyes. And almost everyone in, because so few foreigners visit Xinyu, Jiangxi province, everyone thought I was Russian. So I learned how to understand the, the, the phrase, and I can't repeat it, but I, if I hear it, so, is she Russian? <laughs> because I would hear it all the time. They would always ask my translator if I was Russian. And they'd be like, no, no, she's American. She's a teacher. Um, some, I had an older Chinese gentleman who um, had apparently been to Russia, and he spent a good 10 minutes telling me all about Russia. I didn't understand anything. And then my translator was with me, uh, my friend Cherry, and I, after he, she said something to him and he was, ha he was happy. He had the interaction and I was like, oh, you know, she, she, thank you um, for telling me this. And then when he left, I said, what did he just say? And she said, I don't know because he was speaking in dialect and I can't understand him. So um, I'm sure it was, a, he seemed like it was a really entertaining story. And because I can read body language, I, I hopefully um, made him happy and I was following along. I, other than he was talking about having visited Russia, I have no idea what the story was. <laughs> so I know I really should ask you about Palfish at some point. Oh, sure. But I'm so curious about your time in China still. <laughs> That's fine. What, um, um, I, I just, uh, I think maybe my experience was, I'm, I have spoken to people when I've been back who've thought about going to China, and I always say, yes, absolutely go. Um, overwhelmingly, my, my experience, even with the stress of being the only foreigner in the city, um, was overwhelmingly positive. Um, yes, it was very frustrating because they would, um, like, uh, as an example, I had to go and get that um, physical, and my classes didn't start till 10 a.m. So usually I would, the breakfast at, that they offered with the school was not great, in my opinion. So I would often um, make my own breakfast and then I would come to the office at nine and, you know, greet the students, say hello, see if there was anything I needed to do before my class. Um, so I was getting dressed for the day in my room. I lived at the school um, and they called me and they were like, teacher, where are you? And I'm like, I'm in my room. I'm, I'll be there, you know, in about 15 minutes. My class isn't until 10. And they're like, oh no, no, you have to go to the hospital today. And I, I, I was confused. No one had said anything about a hospital visit to me. And I said, what are you, what are you talking about? Oh, you have to bring clothes for tomorrow because you're going to the hospital today and you might not be able to get back before tomorrow. And of course, Oh, they're waiting for you right now. So, of course, I wasn't packed. I wasn't prepared. Um, I had, you know, I mean, yeah, I had nothing. So I had to hurry very quickly, throw everything in my bag. Um, I had to take my passport with me because you can't travel anywhere in China as a foreigner without your passport. Um, and they were waiting on me and they had been waiting on me for a while. And I, so I apologized. I said, I'm sorry that you were waiting on me, but no one told me about this. And they're like, oh, it was decided last night. When? Um, around 9.30 p.m. I was like, why didn't someone call me? Oh, well, we didn't want to wake you up. 
So that was pretty typical about of things that in America um, they would that would be something that was scheduled quite a bit in advance. So you would have if you're going out of town for something, you have time to prepare. Um, frequently in China, it was you have to go somewhere and you have to be there ten minutes ago. So let's go. <laughs> I've really, I'm so terrible at that because I've really adapted to that yeah. mentality. Oh. When my family visits me or something, I'm just like, I'll make, I'll decide, you know what, this would probably be a good idea for them to do. And then I show up there <laughs> in their room all ready to go to the local, you know, <laughs> the local temple an hour away or ready to go. I'm so bad at that now. But yeah, uh, that's yeah, definitely a was... difference. Last minute decisions and you're expected to go because... Well, we've all decided for you. Yes, and I learned to roll with it pretty well.、Um, another thing that was、um, a new one for me was、um, it, China. It's a very、uh, favor-oriented culture, so you know, you do something for me, I do something for you.、Um, and I had a hard time. Like they, everyone wanted to pay for things for me, and I knew because everybody talked about their salaries that I made quite a bit more money than my friends. And so, of course, I wanted to return the favor, and、um, the younger teachers, you know, they got on board with it. Like I explained the concept of going Dutch, which is, you know,、um, and they were like okay with it. But the older teachers were like, no, 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 no,、um, which is fine, except for when the favor didn't involve just me, but also someone else. So they took me to a really lovely eco village.、Um, people make、uh, rope out of、um, uh, a kind of plant, and then there was、uh, camellia nut oil. They、um, they made the the nut oil right there, and I got to see it.、Um, and I could go right down onto the factory floor. No safety precautions needed. <laughs> Um, which would never happen in America, but was super cool, and everyone's just super nice.、It、was a great day. Well, at this village, there was this really cool restaurant, and it had like a river going through it, and I really wanted to eat there. But they had made arrangements. The woman who drove us, her friend had a restaurant, and so they had already made arrangements to bring the foreigner to the restaurant. So I instead had to go to this restaurant, and smoking inside is still a thing in China. So,、um, and of course, I don't really drink, and I especially don't drink beer.、Uh, makes me very sick. And everyone wanted to, you know, offer me a beer, and everyone was smoking. And、um, drinking and driving is still a thing. So the lady who brought us was also drinking,、um, and I was very, very, very reluctant to get into the car with her. But、um, I didn't have a way to get back to my city <laughs> because there was no bus. So it was、um, uh, get into the car with someone who had been drinking. I actually offered to drive in a kind of joking way. I was like, "Oh, hey, you should let me try driving your car. It's just like back home."、Um, yeah, I was really happy to be home after that day. <laughs> That's so rough. You just listed so many really stressful <laughs> things, and I think. People experience, and they're, and when the way you really see it play out is like in a Facebook group. There's the people that complain about that, and then there are the people that say, "Oh, you, you let everything get to you too much." But、yeah. I think probably the truth is in the middle there. Like there's、it、a、really、vocal, majority, or there's a a non-vocal majority who are like, "No, the, there's a lot of things that are kind of actually stressful to deal with." Like, "Oh, I didn't get to." Nobody listened to me when I wanted to go do something. Everyone decides my fate. Yes.、Uh, 
they went and to their friend's restaurant, which seems kind of weird. Yeah, um, and you're stuck. You, I mean, if you wanted, to, like, I really enjoyed the whole day. It was, I mean, and we had they had packed like so many kids into the car, and um, it, it it was like a a lot of people. Um, and I knew that they had planned this specifically so that I could see this. And I was really appreciative, um, because it wasn't something that most tourists get to see. Um, and yeah, but the end of the evening and then I couldn't, so of course we had been warm outside. Um, we'd been drinking water, which they always made fun of me because I would drink water or something with my meal and they never did because they had soup. Um, and I had, we had had a meal and there was a lot of drinking and no one could tell me where a bathroom was. So after about three hours, I had pulled one of the younger teachers aside and said, look, we need to go home or you need to find me a bathroom. <laughs> I don't care what kind it is uh, because they didn't, um, a lot of, I mean, it's a small city. So most of the toilets are what we would call squat toilets. Um, some of them had doors, some of them didn't. Um, some of them had lights, some of them didn't. <laughs> and at that point, I didn't really care. <laughs> um, and it's a funny story now, but at the, that time I was very, very stressed out because I was worrying about getting into the car with someone who had been drinking. And um, yeah, the whole situation was very uh i mean i tried to you know, look on the bright side um but by the end of the day i was just really tired and i wanted to go back to my room and um yeah there was still more socializing to be done and um a lot of times they would sit seat me next to the most important person uh which was fine but the most important person very often didn't speak any English. So they would put my translator on the other side of the table. And I, so I would be there smiling and, um, you know, eating and the food was always amazing. Uh, and luckily I don't have any allergies and I'm not a vegetarian. So I would just eat whatever they put in front of me. And, um, but I couldn't talk to anyone. So there was a lot of socializing going on around me. Um, and then I would just be sitting there smiling and shoving my face full of food. <laughs> that sounds really familiar. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just lucky because I like to drink and the, the guys uh. around me like to drink. So that, uh, that really opens up the body language. Yeah. <laughs> trying to talk to your old boss about stuff. And I mean, like, I would try things, but I'm just awesome. not like, I'm not really a drinker. Um, I had, they um, convinced me on New Year's to try Baiju and I about burned all the hair off of my nose and you know it, it burned all the way down it was horrible <laughs> but I did it <laughs> um, give up that fair warning to everybody Baiju is something Baiju else. is oh my goodness oh, think of this you know I, I guess the only thing I can compare it to is just like drinking straight Everclear like, oh, it was horrible. <laughs> uh, now, my brother likes it. So um, I guess it's a acquired taste, maybe. <laughs> but yes, I always do try to warn people when they say they want to go to another country. Um, I mean, I don't warn them away from it. I say, yes, absolutely do it. But you really do have to leave 90% of your preconceptions behind, behind you. Because... Um, 
it will not do you any good. It, it will make you, it will either make you cry, you'll get angry, you'll get offended, you'll just be stressed all the time. Um, and it was, it's, that, I think that's the biggest thing that was uh, difficult for me because I do like to, um, I'm independent, um, I'm opinionated, which is not a good quality always. Um, and I'm used to doing things for myself. I've, you know, uh, so having to rely on so many people with uh, different motivations, different agendas, um, and I mean, and I, and again, I none of this was a net. They weren't being malicious at any point. Um, I never felt like anyone was trying to do things, mean things to me. Um, but it was just uh, they didn't understand what my my concerns were. Um, and I would try to explain it to them in a way that they would understand. And sometimes it went okay, not always. Um, and I was, um, they were, they had a certain um, preconceived notions about foreigners, especially Americans. Um, uh, they were told that they had to give me a very large room because Americans need space or they get sick. <laughs> So well, that's a really great stereotype. <laughs> I know, right? So they, which was fine when the when the weather was beautiful and I had two balconies instead of only one, and I could open all the, the windows. But the um, the construction on the school was not. Um, it was marble floors, marble walls, big windows, big windows with cracks in the beside them, so that when it got cold. I was freezing. Um, my tiny little wall heater, um, it did nothing. It did not increase the temperature. And But I couldn't complain because all of none of the other teachers even had a heater. So I was freezing with my heater on and they were just like, oh no, it's totally fine. And they're wandering around with no coat on. And I've got, you know, uh, I ended up going to visit my brother and buying, um, like Long John's, um, at, thank you. I would like to thank whoever put the Uniqlo in Shanghai because they had Long John's that I could fit into. <laughs> and I wore them under everything for about three months. <laughs> um, wow, I, and, that's incredible yeah. <laughs> that it got so cold over there. I didn't expect that. Um, and, and strangely enough, it wasn't that cold like it never snowed but it was very wet and it just sort of and with the the marble floors it just sort of seeped in um just I couldn't couldn't keep warm and I don't know if it was just um because I'm a weak westerner and I'm used to my central heating but I grew up in the countryside in a old farmhouse so I it was just this mountain wet mountainish area and the the cold just kind of got in everywhere um, I got a, uh, I got an upper respiratory tract infection when I was there. I had to go to the hospital. Um, I will say that, um, a small city, even a small city in China, the medical care was excellent. Um, it was a bit weird. I had to get all of my antibiotics via IV. Um, and I had to go into a room with other people who were also getting antibiotics via IV and sit and let the IV go through um, something else I was not prepared for. So I watched the Smurfs dubbed into Chinese for three hours. 
while I was sick and just wanted to crawl into a bed and die. <laughs> that kind of just makes it a little bit better, I guess. It's just... <laughs> Um, it was, uh, I think the word surreal is overused, but it really was. Like I took pictures of the, the IV room and there were people all over like, and then they, I have small veins, so they had to use the baby needles and then they all had to have a good chuckle about the baby needles. And, um, and then the nurses had to come over and look because I'm super pale. So they were like, oh, we can trace your veins all the way up. And I'm all like, ha, 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 please let me die. <laughs> um, and then, of course, I felt horrible because my translator got stuck on her Saturday sitting in a hospital with me watching the Smurfs um, while I was sick. And, um, yeah, so. But the, the, the thing that I take away from it was, one, the care was excellent. Like, I don't feel like I missed out on anything having gone to a hospital in a small ta a small city. And two, it was so cheap. <laughs> it was so cheap. I had um, a week's worth of medication, two rounds of antibiotics. Um, I got in and I saw the doctor right away. Um, and it was less than $100. And the same procedures in the United States would have probably run in the thousands. So, um, yeah. Uh, I think in general, like listening to your story and listening to what you're talking about, it's really refreshing to hear just a very practical outlook on what it's like to live and teach abroad. And that's something that Hal and I always try to hammer on about is it, you don't have to ignore all the bad things and only focus on the good things. And you don't need to ignore all the good things and just be obsessed that, oh, some old lady or some young guy didn't give you a seat on the bus that was reserved right. for uh, old people. It's like, That's not really what it's about. Like, there are real stressful moments that you can acknowledge are from just experiencing a new culture. And then you mentioned like drunk driving and the passport situation they're actually like really things that like you really have to battle with that are really stressful like these are big taboos big no-nos and actually you know well-researched things that can go negative really quickly giving someone your passport or driving with someone who's drunk not using seatbelts and so this is just the kind of things that you're faced with while also enjoying being abroad you've got to face these kind of troubling um scenarios and i think listening to you talk about that it's really refreshing because you have such a positive experience but you're off the very <laughs> yeah i did i mean like i would go to the local bakery and they remembered me from week to week and so they would save like there was this it was like a pudding or something i don't even know what it's called i never found out what the name of it was but it was amazing and they would they knew that i really liked it so if they only had one or two like one of the people who worked at the bakery would put it in the back so no one else could buy it um and then she would be like oh you know teacher come here come here and um you know I had people who like hadn't spoken English since they were in school and they would see me at the store and um they would you know try their English out with me um I had little kids following me around in Walmart every English phrase that they could remember how are you what's your name what time is it <laughs> like just uh really nice fun things and just I found just going to the stores and seeing different products that I'm used to seeing a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I, I always try to 
give a balanced um, view of living abroad because I always, I when I speak to people generally, my biggest, um, I guess, con or warning for people would be if you can't, if you can't laugh at your own mistakes, um, and also if you have any kind of body image issues, um, Asia may not be the place for you because they will call you fat. Um, they will tell you that things won't fit you because you're fat. <laughs> um, and they will, like, we went to a, um, uh, a school presentation. So it was, uh, a bunch of different schools all come together and the, the English teachers give presentations and then the kids, um, give some presentations. And I asked if I could go, I said, Oh, I would love to do that. Can I go? And they were like, Oh, we didn't even think of that. I'm like, I'm an English teacher. Why would I not want to go? And then I got there and they hadn't told any of the other schools that they were bringing a native English speaker. And so then this poor woman who had the first presentation of the day was like so nervous and she kept fumbling because there's me sticking out like a sore thumb sitting in the, she was afraid I was going to be judging her. And I mean, her English was amazing. So I was just kind of like trying to encourage her like, yeah, you're doing a great job. And um, one of the lessons they taught was descriptors, like to how to talk about people. And, oh, this is the thin one. This is the fat one. And um, they would have some of the students stand up and have another student describe them. So there was a little boy and he was chubby. And um, <laughs> of course, how did they describe him? Oh, he's, he's short and fat. And um, I was just like trying not to laugh. Like I was covering my, my mouth and, um, Later on, they asked me, uh, some, like all the teachers got to ask me questions. And I just explained to them that um, I wasn't laughing at their English. I was laughing because in Western culture, it's not polite to call someone fat to their face. Um, <coughs> and uh, yeah, so it just, I try to tell people that they have to be able to um, laugh at themselves and not that knee-jerk reaction to take offense, like something isn't how you're used to it. Oh my gosh, like how rude. Um, it's not, it's just the different culture. <laughs> a really good point. And I guess on that note, um, as we're getting a little bit long in the tooth here on the practicing the oh, yep. point, do you have any like really main thing that you want to get across to teachers aspiring to go abroad? And I know we didn't get to talk about Powellfish and teaching online, but do you have any tips or tricks or any advice that you really think you'd like to pass on besides what you've just spoke about? Um, I would say try to choose someplace that not everyone else has gone to. I'm not saying you have to get as far off the, I mean, and I still don't feel like I was that far off the beaten path. Um, but like, there are of course, amazing things to do and see in all of the major cities. Um, even I lived in, I didn't live in a huge city in Thailand either. I lived in the provincial capital, um, Chonburi. So big, but not huge. Um, but try to go somewhere where you aren't going to be in a bunch of foreigners. Um, you can always find people who speak English. You can take a trip. You can go to and you can go to Shanghai. You can go to Beijing, Guangzhou, and there will be plenty of people around who speak English. You can hang out with other expats. Um, I think I would always encourage people to go someplace where maybe, maybe not the 
be the only foreigner. That was for your first trip. That was very stressful at times. But go someplace where you're not going to be falling back on, I'm just going to hang out with my expat friends. I'm not going to try because you're going to miss a lot. Like there's no way I would have gotten to go onto the floor of a camellia nut factory or, um, you know, wander around in a, you know, open market where there was nothing and nobody, um, just by myself. I, I was lost, but I found my way back. Um, so if I had stayed in Shanghai or one of the bigger cities, um, I still could have gotten, um, a good experience. Um, Shanghai is amazing. I love it, but I don't feel like I could have, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I would have really gotten to know China and I still don't think I know everything there is to know about China, but, um, my experience wasn't like everyone else's because I did choose a smaller place. So don't be afraid to go to that third tier city. <laughs> like this, that would be yeah, my Yeah, I think advice. that's really great. I think it's a really <laughs> positive outlook. I think it's really helpful for so many people who are either living abroad, living in China, or thinking about going there. Um, Jennifer, thanks, I guess, for coming on. Is there, is there any place that people can contact you and get in touch with you? Any questions? Um, uh, yeah, I have a website. It is, it is very early beginnings um it's called inner seagull um at, at and i mean inner seagull at outlook.com um you can find me or jennifer waddell at icloud.com and i'm always happy to answer questions about teaching abroad or teaching online um happy to help i really enjoy it so i would love for everyone to have the same or similar experiences <laughs> I've really enjoyed listening to your stories and listening to your unique perspective on teaching abroad. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on here and, and sharing your story with us. Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me. It was great. Right, see you guys.